0: Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook with Brent Pasqua, Matthew Thiel, and Joshua Winterswike from RPA Wealth Management. In this podcast, we cover current events, retirement planning strategies, and provide you with the tools to help you build a successful retirement playbook in any political or financial landscape. Join Brent, Matthew, and Joshua as they navigate the issues that can make the later stages of your retirement plan challenging and help you create the best retirement plan playbook. Now, let's get to the show.
1: Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. We are back. I'm Brent Pasqua, host and founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner. And our guy, Joshua Wintersweig, Certified Financial Planner. Uh, We're getting a lot of the same questions right now, and that's about whether or not we are in a recession. Are we going to actually step into the recession if we're not? And what are some of the strategies we can utilize if we do end up or we are in this recession? So we want to address that today. But as we kind of get this thing started, I wanted to ask you guys, Amazon's Prime Day came and went did you guys take advantage of any deals?
2: No, I didn't buy anything. Um, I was looking at TVs. I, I want a new TV. My TV is too small and it doesn't work out. So I, I decided to hold off though. wait for Labor Day or Black Friday. I'm sure there'll be bigger sales then. Um, I looked at all the players, Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart. I'd love to get a nice TV for a little bit less than they were offering them.
3: I peaked at Amazon Prime Day, but I actually didn't pull the trigger on anything. So... I came and went, like you said, I know it's two days now. It used to be a day and I didn't actually buy anything. Was, do you get like a, a much bigger sale on items? I think a lot of their items are on sale because they have like their basics and lines, but there's a lot, I know that there's a lot of stuff on sale. And I see a lot of like articles out there from other publications being like, here are the 10 best prime day deals. And they curate like a list that you can kind of click through. I clicked through a couple of them, but nothing caught my eye enough to buy. So, I saved some money. <laughs> Is it trying to become like a Black Friday sell event? Oh yeah, I know people get pretty excited for it, like Black Friday. It did. It didn't uh, trick me this time though. I saved a hundred percent because I didn't buy anything.
1: I I I didn't buy anything. I didn't. I forgot to even check. But I mean, it's just not a big day that I circle in the calendar. I guess I wish that they would just make it last a little bit longer. Maybe make it make it Prime Week now. Yeah,
3: I think so too. Prime Week would be cool.
1: All right, well, let's get into the headlines. Uh, Elon Musk notified Twitter that he wants out of his $44 billion deal to buy the struggling social network. He claimed Twitter failed to comply with obligations in the merger agreement. Twitter has uh, sued Elon Musk in Delaware for pulling out of the deal. I'm still confused about what has all happened here and how did we even end up here?
2: Yeah, this is a crazy story. So, you know... We, we talked about it like three or four shows ago. Musk agreed to buy Twitter. They signed the agreements. And, and then he's kind of been, um, I guess, like taking his toes out of the water slowly and, and setting up for this with, with public comments. And then he, he let them know that he's pulling the deal. And then Twitter obviously sued because... The board has to put the shareholders as their best interest, right? So like advisors, we have to put our clients' best interest first. The board has to put the shareholders of Twitter's best interest first. And obviously, $44 billion is a pretty good deal for you know a struggling social media company. It's worth a lot less now. And Musk pulled out. He said he's not going to do it. They sued. They're going to Delaware. You know, my popcorn's ready. I think it's going to be a, a, a fun ride here. I mean, anything with Musk is entertaining. I think so too. It's going to be a long drawn out
1: legal boxing match. Is this, do you think more about what he's saying is bots and, or do you think this is more like a, a buyer's remorse thing? And he just got put too much of his hands in the fire and this
2: is just too much to deal with. Probably a little bit of buyer's remorse would be my guess. I know he was going to use some of his Tesla shares and Tesla's dropped in price as is everything, you know, since he agreed to buy it and, you know, I can understand him wanting out. It looks like he
3: is going to pay some money to to Twitter, regardless of how this shakes out, because the agreement has a $1 billion kind of bill on it if he backed out through
2: any of this process, and he signed that. That sounds like a lot to you and me. Uh, that's pocket change for, yeah. for Mr. Elon. But this is no different. You know, say you're a real estate agent, you sell a house, the buyer backs out. That's all that's happening here. Why does this go through Delaware? That's where the majority of corporations are incorporated at. So it's a Delaware court.
1: It'll be interesting to see how this court case goes, but it's probably going to be expensive, and there's going to be a lot of lawyers making probably a lot of money. This is probably not the last time we talk about this. No. Inflation is another big issue. The June inflation data was reported at a 9.1% increase compared to last year, the highest increase since November of 1981. Matt, on the last show, we had talked about how inflation has peaked, and it looked like that was your stance. What do you think now?
2: Yeah, so on the last show, we said that a lot of the commodities that were leading the rise in inflation had peaked, and that that's still the case. The, one of the major problems, though, is any economic data is always going to be backward-looking, not forward-looking. And right now, the biggest driver of this previous inflation print was gasoline, up 11.2%. And over the past year, energy has c- contributed a 41% gain to the CPI. And I was just driving to work the- today. I looked at the gas station and finally here in California, prices are below $6 a gallon. So it's, it was 5.99, and then 5 at ARCO for the cheap stuff. Um, and that should help lower inflation in the July print, which will be re- reported in August pretty crazy that we haven't
3: seen inflation this high since 1981. So last time inflation was this high, I wasn't even alive I'm telling my age, I guess, on this podcast. Yeah, neither was I. But pretty interesting to see here. I think, uh, Matt, you needed some clarification because you did call out that it peaked, even though the overall inflation number um, is higher. But
2: tell us about core inflation. Yeah, so core inflation is when you strip out food and energy prices. And the reason we do that is because they're volatile. And core did peak it, it, the highest reading of core we've had was at 6.4 percent and that was in march and it was reported in june or june's data reported a 5.9 percent gain so core still hasn't got up as high as it has if it did i think that would be really really concerned but so far it, it does look like inflation's most likely this is the peak print and it'll start to come in hopefully So do you think, so once it starts going down,
1: does it continue to go down or could you see sort of like a roller coaster ride where it comes back up at later
2: parts in the year? That's a good question. I I mean, I'm not sure. Anytime we're dealing with this macro data, it's always tough to call. I mean, what's been driving inflation and and what's really led to this, I guess, wildfire we're dealing with right now is the war in Ukraine, right? Because that caused food prices to go up. That caused all Oil prices to go up, so we just don't know what's around the corner. Just like at the beginning of the year, we didn't know that war was around the corner. So inflation probably wouldn't be an issue today. We wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't for that war.
3: And what we have to see what the Fed's going to do. I mean, that's another kind of factor in here. They're trying to battle inflation with the raising of interest rates. So you know, what is going to be their stance if we do see inflation start to drop? You know, are they going to continue to raise interest rates? And we'll kind of have to wait to see what are those effects.
1: Yeah, I feel like both these stories, Twitter and inflation, aren't going away anytime soon. No, no. All right, let's get in the retirement planning corner. In the retirement corner today, we wanted to discuss and talk around the recession and what it actually can mean towards your retirement, whether you're in retirement, you're preparing for retirement, you're thinking about retirement. We want to discuss a few strategies that you can use during the recession. But first, we want to know, though, how do we actually know if we are in a recession? And are we currently in one?
2: That's a great question. So typically, a recession is measured from an economic standpoint as two negative quarters of GDP growth. So that means that gross domestic product declined for two quarters in a row. But what most people look at and what the Federal Reserve watches is actually rising unemployment. And right now, the current unemployment rate is 3.6%. It's at a 50-year low. Currently, there's two jobs available in this country for every one person who's looking for a job. So until that goes higher, we probably won't be really near a recession at all. Is that the one factor that's kind of holding
1: us back right now from being sort of in, in a recession?
2: Yeah, yes. The strong job market is really helping and there's no, we're not in a what we'd call a technical definition of a recession right now.
3: I'll go back to GDP and just gross domestic products. So for our listeners that aren't familiar kind of with that term, that is the measurement to seek a or to capture a country's economic output. So it's the total value created in the U S. Um, and so we know we had that first quarter that was negative um, of that measurement. It seems like early data, not official data is predicting that it's going to be negative again. So based off of just those terms, technically somewhat of a recession. Would you, would you agree, Matt?
2: Yeah, it'll hit the technical definition, but, I mean, everybody's just talking about this, you know, recession, 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 and, like, I've, I've never seen this in my life. Even, like, going back, I feel like more people are talking about a recession now than they were in 2008. Why do you think that is, though? Why do you think people keep bringing it up or, like, so, like, micro-focused
1: on a recession? Is it because they feel like it's going to affect the way that they're spending money, their cost of their goods? Do you think it's the market? Is it their job? Where where is this obsession coming from?
2: Yeah, so I have some interesting stats. So consumer sentiment just came out last week. And what it said was consumers are worried about personal finances and inflation. We obviously know why people are worried about inflation. But over 50% of people are saying that it's starting to erode their standard of, you know, when you're going, you're putting your credit card in, you're paying more for food and gasoline, takes away from what you could purchase on other things. And I think people are just down about that. So they think we're in a recession, even though we probably really aren't. And you've seen wage, wages
3: increase, which is good, which is kind of not also like a in leading indicator of a recession. That's positive. Also, after kind of the pandemic, you saw personal finances in the U.S. in a position that was like, great. I mean, people's savings accounts were built up, debt was being paid off. So although inflation is kind of eroding that spending power, people are in overall in a better financial situation than they were before the actual pandemic happened.
2: It's funny because everybody says, hey, like, I'm going to cut spending. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But also last week we got retail sales data and it was 1% higher. Yeah. uh, Then the reason was a lot of demand out there. (laughs) Like people just aren't cutting spending. Like these just aren't signs that are consistent with the recession.
1: We see that those are like, you know, some of the positives of what's happening right now. But is there negatives regarding some of this recession?
2: I mean, obviously inflation, right? Like we keep talking about it because it's impacting a lot of people. The price you pay at the pump, go to your grocery store, you, you buy food. It's higher than it was a year ago. That, that's very, very clear. And that's a little bit depressing to some people. And, and that's really hurting the consumer sentiment. But outside of that, there's not a ton of negatives other than people feel down. In, in
3: continuing on the inflation talk, I mean, just when you see the, you know, last month it was 8.6. Now we're seeing inflation increase to 9.1. Like just emotionally looking at that report, not really understanding the data or like what's actually driving it. That's not what we want to see in this time after we've been dealing with inflation this whole year. It's kind of wearing us down, I feel like, in America.
2: Yeah, it totally is. And you can see that in the approval rating of the president of the United States. There's never been a president who had less of an approval rating than Joe Biden does right now. Trump was more like than Biden, which is crazy. And I think that makes people feel depressed and it makes them think that, Hey, we're probably going to head into recession because you know, this guy Biden clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Um, So it's all just sentiment driven. And then you look at the stock market. I mean, you log
3: into your investment account. So here's another negative and you log into your 401k, you see your statement come through after this quarter ended and, you've lost money. You know, most people have. So that's also not helping that sentiment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Market being down. And and then there are some other interesting things that we're seeing in the economy. If you look at the specific retailers, some of them have rising inventory levels, but it's not because people really aren't shopping there. It's because they ordered all of the wrong things that aren't in demand anymore. Yeah, you brought that to my attention. I keep getting these, uh,
1: emails from target that they have furniture going on. So
2: yeah, they all do because they ordered a bunch of furniture thinking that people would replace it every year. But you know, you buy a piece of furniture, you keep it for five or 10 years, you couldn't
3: find furniture, though. I mean, a year ago, outdoor furniture, indoor furniture, you were waiting six weeks to get anything you ordered. Um, mean, what's crazy is, is some of this inventory is not even hitting like retail stores, it's already being sold to like the secondary market. That's how you know that that is kind of a going to be an issue or is already an issue is because they can't get rid of the inventory fast enough.
1: Yeah. It'd be interesting to see like how they're going to offload some of that stuff. I mean, obviously sending out these mass emails. We got one more negative too, right, Matt?
2: Yeah, I do. I want to hit this real quick. So we got corporate earnings that have been coming out and the CEO of JPMorgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, he, he's usually always in the news for his comments. And what he said during the JP Morgan conference call, I found really, really interesting. So he said that on average, they're finding that consumers are spending 10% more than last year. A lot of that's probably inflation-driven, but they're spending 30% more than they did prior to COVID. And travel and dining expenses up 34% year over year. And this just isn't behavior that's consistent with the recession. Is
1: that because they just have so much more money saved from COVID, and then now they're trying to save to trying to spend it, or is it just and then also does cost of doing these things have gone up?
2: Or no, well, sort of yes, but really no. They do have savings. Cost of things is a little bit higher, but what he's saying is people are spending thirty percent more than they did. Prior to COVID, like people are out spending money. They have more money in their pocket. They're making more because of the job of the wage growth job. Josh mentioned then everybody has a job right now. So, there's just more money to spend throughout the economy. I think there's more variables too. There's pent
3: up demand, mm-hmm. right? A
2: lot of people through COVID didn't
3: take trips or they postponed trips. I mean, I know I know we even hear this in our office a lot from clients is that they had a trip planned two years ago, but they didn't buy plane tickets, but their cruise was booked and now they're using it this summer. So that means they're still spending new money on rental cars, on flights that they didn't have booked, but they made a paid for a portion of that vacation back in
2: the covet time i think a lot of those variables are just 80 i'll just talk about myself personally i went to hawaii twice in the second quarter i was very blessed i mean i went in april and i went in june never happened before in my life but just worked out that way and then previously what two weeks ago josh when we went to the soccer match we used uber for the first time to get to a match since 2019
3: yeah i don't think i've had used uber before for a match since, yeah, 19. Yeah, so
2: that goes into that travel spending category that he's seen that increase in. And, you know, the Uber was $40. I, I thought that was probably fair. I thought it was going to be a lot more than it was. Yeah, me too. I think it was a little better than we thought, but still more
3: expensive than before COVID. Yes.
1: So if we're not actually in a recession, then are we going into one soon?
2: Yeah. So that's very possible. Kind of the current belief in the market is that the Fed is going to take us into a recession by overhiking interest rates. Because like we said, there are some signs the economy is about to slow sentiments really low. And if the Fed does overhike, they raise rates too much. Yeah, that's definitely going to cause a recession. Absolutely. Do they want to cause it though? Uh, I don't think they want to cause it. I think they just want to break the back of inflation as they say.
3: That's their focus. They've they've talked about it. Their focus is inflation. The current administration focuses inflation right now, too. So they're using that tool of raising interest rates to battle this priority. But it's a very delicate situation. They keep talking about a soft landing with raising interest rates. But we see that there's a lot more variables to it than just slowing down demand.
1: I mean, if people are really concerned
2: about being in a recession, like how long would it take to come out of the recession? That's a tough question to answer. I mean, it would really just be how fast it snaps back. The Fed is usually your friend, so it's how fast they they pull us out with accommodative monetary policy, as, as they say. We've talked about it before. On average, recessions last about 11 months. If you're just looking for the historical average, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, but right now, the markets, stocks, commodities, they're saying a recessions in the future based on the way they're trading.
1: So I think one of the things that I would... It's on the... It's on everybody's mind whether or not we're in a recession or not, but I think who it also impacts a lot are people that are hoping to retire in the next couple of years, or maybe you just retired. If someone's considering retiring in the next few years, is that still possible?
2: Oh, absolutely. This is a good time to retire, actually. But it always starts, you know, we we say it almost every show, and I hate to be a broken record. Josh, you always say, build a plan. Mm -hmm. That's where it starts. If you want to retire, you need to go out and build a financial plan or find someone who could help you build one.
3: Yeah, and I think that if you build a plan and you understand your future and you run those projections, a 20% stock market drop shouldn't impact your ability to
1: retire.
2: No, it's not going. So you want to you shouldn't even really notice it.
1: I think one thing that you could do too, like during this time, if you're trying to plan for a strat- from a strategy standpoint, is if you're going to retire in the next couple of years, is maybe start really putting away Where and how you're going to get that first year or two of income so if the market hasn't really bounced back yet um, you're not selling a bunch of shares either in your 401k plan or in your ira or your brokerage account to create that income that you need to kind of close that gap give you some more
3: peace of mind heading into it you're not worried about you know making a wrong
2: decision for your first year of retirement probably be a big stress reliever for you too yeah you could use the cash out vacation strategy Brent. that's that's your favorite right
1: and I think you, you can, and if you do that and plan it correctly, so if you've have built up vacation and you can maybe take that built up vacation into the beginning of that following year, once you plan to retire, sell off that vacation, you're going to get a lump sum check. And if you do get bonuses, that could help as well. Do that at the start of the year and bring your taxable income for that year down and go ahead and retire. And if you have saved some money in your back pocket from the last, for the first year of retirement, then use that money plus the bonus, plus the vacation to really use that for the first year or two of retirement.
2: That's a really good strategy. I know we've worked with a few clients on that and you helped me with a couple of my clients and you know, it's, it, it's taken their runway by somewhere between four to eight months without them ever having to to touch their 401k or IRA, which is really cool. I mean, it, and I think a lot of the concern too, for somebody who
1: is getting ready to retire is the market's down significantly 20, 22, 25%. It's just kind of been in that range and you're probably going to have to sell some shares of your IRA or 401k if you retire if you're not planning ahead nobody really wants to sell off that many shares that early on in retirement to get that generate that type of income
3: yeah no you don't and you just have to be very mindful of it I think to piggyback on your guys' strategies as well as analyzing your debt making sure you're heading into retirement and. You know, those things you wanted to get paid off are being paid off or what is that debt strategy if you're still holding a mortgage going into retirement and really looking at that because managing your expenses is just as
1: important as managing your income. And one of those expenses, I think, is taxes, right? So if you can carefully plan out where your income is going to be in that first couple years of retirement, try to minimize as much taxation as possible. I mean, you're not having to withdraw as much if you're not paying as much in taxes.
2: Yeah, I was working with a a a new client. We're building out his retirement plan right now. We're looking at all his various assets. He's got most of his wealth in tax deferred retirement accounts, specifically a 401k. And we we created one plan at the beginning of the year. And we totally just ripped it up the other day in a meeting. And we're we're doing a full new one. We're gonna completely drain his Roth IRA first. It it just makes so much sense with how the market's turned. And he's going to end up paying little to no taxes for the first few years of retirement. We're going to let that 401 build back up. And then once he hits his RMD age, that's when he'll start taking income out of his 401 So yeah, the the changing dynamics made us change strategy. But because he built the original plan, it was very easy to call an audible, uh, kind of like Peyton Manning up there. Switch it. Omaha? Yep, Omaha.
1: (laughs) And move forward. I I think that's one of the things that is so important when you're working with a client and that's being able to adjust and change and adapt the plan because things are going to, to change. And when you're doing planning, you're going to assume that there, we're going to go through these volatility points in the market. And you know we assume that someone during their retirement is going to be in a recession. There's going to be a recession for a couple of years, but how you adjust during that time, because you don't want to look back two years from now and say, well, we didn't do anything. We didn't adjust the plan. We didn't adjust our strategy. We just kind of went up and we went down and then we kind of came back out and nothing. You never took advantage of everything. You never really got creative and being able to help the client. That's not really what you want to do through these periods. And that was my thought. And and
3: you're, it's not going to be the only recession you're going to be going through in your retirement. So we have to be prepared for these type of events and times because it's most likely going to happen again. So these times we put together a plan, like you said, Matt, and.
2: Audible if we need to.
1: When you are working with a retiree, what are some of your favorite strategies to hedge the risk of retirement during a recession?
2: Yeah, there's only one strategy I think that's like the gold standard that puts everyone at ease and that's doing a bucket strategy. So it's kind of old school, but take your money, you put it in three different buckets. You have your cash bucket, you have your fixed income bucket, and then you have your equity bucket. Equity bucket, seven plus years long. The, sh- the medium term is that bonds right? That's anything from three to five years. And then you have your short term bucket. And that's where you put enough for two to three years income. And you decide about that on personality. But if you do that, you could, you're going to be able to write out any stock market correction in history and any recession in history. I think in writing this down, just visually, it helps like not only
3: us, but our clients understand that not all of the money that's invested needs to be invested not only the same way, We have specific timeframes and specific time horizons for each bucket of money, like you're saying, to use at different periods
2: throughout your retirement. And I think it could just be a great tool to provide peace of mind for clients. Every client I've ever done bucket strategy with absolutely loves it. It's like the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm, I, I won't pay attention to the market. I don't care if it drops another, you know, 10, 15% from here. I don't care if we go into recession. We built the strategy. I have my money. I know where my money's coming from. It's going to be perfect. Yeah. And I think what's important about that strategy though, is it
1: as much as the concept is easy, it also takes a lot of detail and planning to create that because if you don't have its each bucket specifically aligned for the investments that they need, then the strategy is probably not going to work correctly. And so there is that detail. And and like we were talking about before, you have to be able to adapt from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're right. In audio format, sounds really easy. People are probably like, "Oh, I could do this myself." You probably can. It's it's a little bit more difficult, but we explain it easy.
3: And you you can't even do it unless you understand exactly how much income and expenses and creating that cash flow report. If you don't understand how much you're going to need, that strategy isn't as useful.
1: One of my favorite I think strategies during this time is just spend less. Like reduce your spending if you can. I mean, if you're depending on your portfolio for income and you can withdraw just a little bit less every month, then do it, especially if you have money some of that income's building up in savings. Right now is the time to not worry about how much is building up in savings. Worry about trying to preserve as many shares as possible when the market's down and try to reduce what you're taking out every month.
2: Yeah, I've done that with a few clients as well in the last month. Reduce the the money coming out of the account. They could take a little bit less and then let that money continue to compound once the market goes higher. And I know it can be a,
3: a difficult thing to do, but it is going to be very
1: valuable in the long run for your plan. And you've said with wage growth that there is demand for, for work. And if you are recently retired or you're thinking about, I mean, you could always go make pretty fair money, not having to work all that much, though, to kind of fill that gap during this time.
2: Yeah, great time for part, part-time part work, especially, you know, retailer, restaurant, any of those jobs. Perfect. And lastly, you could always delay
1: retirement a little. Yeah, it's always an option, but not many people want to take that option.
3: No, they don't. But you know, especially with work from home and hybrid schedules, if you have to, that is, that is one option we have on our list.
1: Yeah. I would say build the plan first, see if you can or can't retire and go from there. But I think there's ways to work around this recession.
2: I think so too. All
1: right. Let's get into the recommends. Uh, Matthew, what do you have to recommend for us today?
2: Uh, So I have a great money saving strategy. So I'm going to start. This isn't my idea. Uh, One of our listeners, uh, one of my best friends, he gave me this idea. And, um, I was, we were complaining about how much our direct TV bill was. And I, I guess he went on and, you know, got in the whole fight with direct TV and got a really good loyalty number. He called and got his bill reduced. I went out and did the same thing. I took my bill from over $200 to $83 a month, um, with loyalty discounts. It was great. I highly recommend if you're still paying, if you're still a sucker like me and paying for direct (laughs) TV to go out there, um, Get those loyalty discounts and, and reduce your bill. I can't because uh,
3: I can't help but to smile when you're telling the story.
2: What what Directv charges is obscene compared to what the content Netflix or Disney or Hulu has for under twenty a month. I thought you signed a lifetime contract with Directv I, I, just to pay more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I guess I didn't. I thought I did too, but I got a loyalty discount. I'm very happy. I can't wait for my new bill to come in the mail. See, you like saving money. Everybody likes saving money. I, I
3: hadn't seen you that happy after you told me that DirecTV story in a long time. So I'm
1: I'm happy for you, Matt. And good tip, by the way. I mean, I've done this every couple of years since I've had DirecTV. So have you? Yes, well?
3: I did. I finally switched to streaming. So I have
2: DirecTV streaming now. And it's just like a fat, flat, no contract uh, thing. But great job, Matt. <laughs> you, can I talk about it for one more minute? Sure. You know what I don't get about DirecTV is when you have a DirecTV... You have a, a username and a login, and you could also do all the streaming apps. And I know password sharing is a big problem for like Disney Plus and Netflix and Hulu, HBO. Everyone shares passwords. Why don't people just share DirecTV passwords for all the various apps you could just put on your Apple TV and watch that way? I think people do. Oh, they do?
3: Yeah, you want my password?
2: <laughs> <laughs> So I guess he just I, locked
1: himself into a contract. <laughs> no, he just signed a lifetime. <laughs> contract. I guess I'm the I only a
2: sucker paying 200 bucks a month for Directv. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good.
1: Brent, you want to go next? Yeah, I'll I'll go next. So, being a recent, you know, I've we've went on vacation every year for the last several years, and I actually got this tip from Matthew when we were going on a trip. He told me to go get my uh, TSA pre check done, and a few years back, I actually did that. So now when we travel, we go through airport security. We bypass all of those long lines. But not only do you bypass the long lines, but you also don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to take your belt off. You don't have to pull out your laptops or your electronics. Like You literally just go into a much quicker line. So if you're going to be traveling and you want to bypass a lot of the headache of the airport, just go get pre-TSA checked. Because I feel like that's one of the biggest headaches. Besides just checking, if you got to check your bags, like that's kind of a pain. But besides that, like if you're not checking your bags... Going through TSA check is such a pain. Oh, it is. But if you can bypass so much of that headache and just go to a much quicker line, it's so worth it. And I think it was less than $100 to do it. And within a couple of weeks, I got our pre-TSA number. And every time you go to book your flight, you just put the pre-TSA number in there. And it comes on your boarding pass. And now you don't ever have to go stand in those long lines.
2: If you're going to travel more than once a year... It's absolutely necessary. If you're going to take an annual trip per year, you probably should do it. It just saves so much time and so many headaches. How long does it last for? How often do you have to renew it? I'm it, not sure. It's
1: I'm a number of years. I think it's greater than five, maybe.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, I probably need to renew mine pretty soon because I think I got it a while ago.
1: I don't
3: have it. We've had this conversation, Brent, and I'm taking a trip in October. So I'm debating whether me and my wife should should get it. It's uh, well worth
2: it. I mean, you're traveling with a child, right? Yeah, you should probably after this podcast, after we stop recording, maybe go sign up. Okay.
3: Maybe I'll do that. I'll update the listeners. It's pretty,
2: it's pretty easy to do. Nice. I have a, I have another just a
3: convenience tip here. I, well, I moved last summer and I had to like forward my mail from my old address to my new address. So I made a postal service account. Um, and I thought it was pretty cool because I made the account. And then now I get images of all of my mail and the packages that are being delivered by the postal service and an email every day. Just thought it was pretty cool. Like, so you know what's coming to your mailbox and you have a digital email to, to show that along with packages. Thought it was pretty cool. Not the greatest recommends, but if you're interested in knowing what's coming in your mailbox, sign up for the USPS free account. And do you check it? Yeah, yeah like, so know? it just comes to my email. So, like, you know, I, I can see, again, packages, but also if like I have an important letter I'm waiting for or invitations or something like that, I know to go grab it. Because I also don't check my mail. Like
2: every day. Hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's pretty interesting too. If you're going on vacation or you're going to be gone for a while that you're able to
2: have records of what's coming in. Yeah. So uh, Haley has that on her phone. And we got a letter one day from the IRS and she texts me. She's like, oh my God, Matt, what did you do? <laughs> I was like, I don't know why the IRS is uh, sending us a letter. So we opened it up and it was about like the child tax care credit. Yeah. It was completely meaningless. But yeah, very cool service. I agree. Yeah.
3: Which, and it's free. You would, can go on there and send it. I think you can even like print stamps and print labels from like your account and stuff, but
1: pretty cool. The IRS probably sent you that same letter about 13 times. No, no. Saying the same thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because
3: they're useless? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. To you, to your wife,
1: to your child. (laughs) Wasting paper. We must really be in a recession because none of us recommended things for anyone to purchase. No, I haven't been purchasing a lot of things.
2: No, I'm waiting. (laughs) I'm... um... I'm holding back. Like I'm just waiting for the big sales to come and then I'm going to start spending money. Like I have a laundry list of things that I want to buy. I'm just going to wait it out. Your need list is growing. Huh? I think you're in the same, in the market for patio furniture. Like I am, huh? I am. I'm I'm going to hold off on patio furniture because the season's almost over. All right. We might need to tag team that sale. I want a TV. (laughs) All right. Well,
1: as advisors, we love helping people and that's why we do it. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You can also download our ebook from our website. Uh, If you'd like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. But as always, thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Click the following button to be notified when new episodes become available. To get in touch with our team, call us at 909 296-7977 or visit our website at www.rpawealth.com to schedule a complimentary consultation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RPA Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only,